This is the Pulse of New Hampshire. I am Jay Dog, and joining me is a true Renaissance man. He is an author. He is a swell dancer. He is a snappy dresser. He is also a loving, a doting grandfather, a loving husband, and a fantastic father. Also a great skier. When the ski is out, when the when the when the slopes are ready and you know nice patches of fresh snow. Steve Ballmer's roommate at Harvard, a Harvard grad. And also a baseball awards presenter, also Eddie Papowski's number one fan. He is the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and the longest running host on the Pulse of New Hampshire with long curly hair. He is the CEO of Northeast <laughs> Delta Dental and the host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. It's Tom Raffia. Thank you. And when I started in the radio business, courtesy of your colleague, Jack Heath, you were just a young man. I think you were a... Uh you know, high school intern. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I was beyond that. <laughs> Not too far beyond, but. Not too uh, far beyond. No, no, that's right. That's right. Thank you for the intro. And by the way, for the listening audience, the skiing now is fabulous. Um, also, uh, you can do snowshoeing. We have uh, several snowshoe races coming up at Canterbury Shaker Village. So uh, if you're interested in that, just get a hold of me. But uh, it is nothing like living in New Hampshire in the winter, if you if you engage the winter, for sure. Um, so anyway, Jay, I'm going to take you everywhere I go. Sterling introduction. But the radio has afforded me many opportunities to introduce to the audience uh, different key players in New Hampshire. And this weekend and day is no different. We have Jennifer Rabelais, who's the co-director for the Center on Aging and Community Living and Project director for the Institute of Disability, both of which are part of UNH, and longtime friend and most people know Dick Chevrofils, who was retired as the state director of ARP in Pennsylvania 2011, and then uh, prior to that served as the state director of ARP in, in New Hampshire, where most people probably uh, got to know Dick as well as many leadership positions at the New Hampshire Department of Health and human services for 35 years. So thank you both for joining me. I know you're busy uh, and I appreciate it. And let me let me ask you this. Did uh, did Connie Rojakowski help coordinate this for you? Yes, Connie did. Uh, we, had the, we had the opportunity to chat and, uh, you know, Connie was very instrumental in some of the work that we've done in terms of caregiving. And uh, we had an opportunity a few months ago to see Connie and she said, gee, Tom's got a radio program and it might be a good opportunity to share a little bit of the perspective on caregiving with a broader audience. So Connie has been very helpful to us. Great. And she's a wonderful example of someone that, uh, boy, she was like my right hand person for uh, 27 years or so at Delta Dental and um, now consults with us, does recruiting for some of our board members and also helps coordinate, you know, the, the radio guests. So she's a perfect example of, of uh, retiring, but still keeping active. So with that, Jennifer, tell us um, a little bit about the Center on Aging and Community Living. Um, I know people can ultimately, uh, you know, Google that for more information, but it might be a good background for people just to hear what it's all about. Yeah, thank you. And I just want to say thank you for having me here with you today. Glad um, you're here. 
both the Center on Aging and Community Living and the Institute on Disability. Um, so I work for both entities and both really promote full access, equal opportunities and participations for all people. Um, and really do this by strengthening communities, advancing policy and also advancing systems change. Um, so at the Center on Aging and Community Living, our, our focus really is in creating um, communities and supports for older people, for all of us really, as we age. Great. And tell us your sort of career journey. One of the things I've learned in doing this show for over a dozen years is people always want to know more about the, the background, the journey that led you to, um, you know, caring about, uh, you know, aging gracefully, whatever the word is. Tell us, tell us your career journey. Sure. Um, my career has actually um, been entirely in working for nonprofits that support older people or people with disabilities. So, you know, right out from from grad school, started doing um, community mental health case management with older people in communities in Los Angeles County, um, and then eventually kind of moved into um, you know, other positions in organizations that support um, older people and people with disabilities. Great. Thank you. Dick, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you had a, you know, leadership positions at the New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services. And, and of course, you now currently uh, volunteer for many nonprofits and there's no lack of those in New Hampshire. And I'm glad to see that uh, mental health is on your list as well. But tell us about your uh, uh, career journey as well. Well, uh, Tom, uh, again, thank you for having us. And uh, I am a homeboy. I grew up in Manchester and uh, attended St. Anselm's College and then went to work directly for the Department of Health and Human Services. And I was afforded the opportunity to continue my education uh, through the state of New Hampshire and worked for them for 35 years. Uh, and one of those uh, stints within the department was with uh, as director of the Division of Elderly and Adult Services. So that's where my first toe was uh, stubbed in terms of uh, the aging population. Then I left and went to work for AARP and again, working with an older population. Uh, and uh, to me, it's been very rewarding. I, I feel that it's so critical for uh, all of us to continue. You mentioned a little bit earlier that you're never going to retire. I think that's the attitude that we all need to take. We may leave a, a paid job but we can consider other volunteer work. And I got involved directly with caregiving, uh, having uh, been a caregiver with for my mother a number of years back, and having been involved in a number of different programs that support caregivers. And uh, they're the unsung heroes in our, our communities today. And what we can do to support them is so critically important. Well said. Um, and uh, I have uh, four older sisters who really helped me in terms of uh, taking care of my mother so i know i know what how you know how important that is so let's bring it back to jennifer what do you think is the extent of family caregiving in new hampshire uh, specifically and across the country both you know informally and formally yeah so um Family members kind of sticking with that informal side so family members play a 
key role in providing care, both in New Hampshire and across the country. Um, nationally, um, one in five Americans are caregivers providing unpaid care um, to either a family member, loved one, friend, somebody in their community. Um, and so the value of this care, if we think about this, um, here in New Hampshire, we have um, 177, approximately 177,000 caregivers in New Hampshire out of our, if we think of our population, roughly around 100, uh, our population, roughly 1.3 million citizens. The value of that approaches $2.3 billion annually. And so if we think of that, that's the cost that it would occur if we were to replace that unpaid care with paid services. Um, so it's extensive. Um, one in six employees are caregivers here in New Hampshire. Um, so really the short answer, Tom, is that most of us will at some point in time in our lives be caregivers. And I always say how uh, society treats its elderly population is a good uh, correlation to its uh, civility. So, um, what is so that is is there a typical caregiver? I mean, we all have um, most of us have aging parents. So, but what would you say if there is a typical caregiver in New Hampshire? Who might that be? Yeah. So, while the typical caregiver has often been thought of and still is, uh, if you look at the averages and, and the data behind it, it's it's women who are in their 40s and 50s. Um, but I will say that the face of caregiving is changing and it's changing rapidly and it's becoming more and more diverse. We're seeing more men, we're seeing more younger people providing care. So again, looking at what some of those statistics look like today, 61% of caregivers are female, while 39% are male. Um, and 25% of caregivers are millennials. Um, also wanted to share again, going back to the, the relationship with businesses and employers, 61% of caregivers are employed currently. So employers listening to this, that means that uh, obviously work family balance, you know, your employee colleagues are going to be away from the office from time to time, you know, as needed. We all understand, you know, you know, family comes first. Now, Jennifer, when you say that you are the coordinator for New Hampshire Alliance for Healthy Aging, what's what's your typical day like? I'm not sure there is a typical day, but I will I will say, so the New Hampshire Alliance for Healthy Aging is one of the programs that the Center on Aging and Community Living lifts up. Um, and, and so the Alliance for Healthy Aging is a statewide stakeholder group in New Hampshire that is focused on the health and well-being of older people. And one of the priorities is supporting family caregivers um, and highlighting the needs of family caregivers right here in New Hampshire. Awesome. Thank the great explanation. So I want my listening audience to Google the Center on Aging and Community Living and Google AARP New, New Hampshire, and you'll get more information. Jay, this is something we're all going to have to deal with. So this is a very informative show, don't you think? It is. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tom. And we have, we're going to take a break. 
And then we're going to come back from the break. We're talking with Jennifer Rabelais, co-director for the Center on Aging and Community Living, as well as uh, Dick Chevrofils, currently of AARP, uh, currently an AARP volunteer. And we'll come back with Northeast Delta Dental Radio here on the Pulse of New Hampshire. This is the Pulse of New Hampshire. I am J Dog alongside Tom Raffio, the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental Radio of Del- Northeast Delta Dental, host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. And this is Northeast Delta Dental Radio. And this week's guests are Jennifer Rabelais, who's the co-director for the Center on Aging and Community Living, as well as Dick Chevrofils, an AARP volunteer. We're talking about aging, and uh, the and Jennifer had mentioned in the last segment. Well, now millennials are pretty much caring for that older generation. And Tom also alluded to that society, the barometer of the society is how they take care of their aging population and senior citizens. And we're having that kind of discussion. So I will continue to uh, let you all uh, go with it. Great lead in, Jay. It's such a compelling topic. So, Dick, let's let's turn to you. So um, how important is it that a business adopt a culture of care? awareness because the reality is we're all you know two-thirds of the your employees are, are dealing with it one way or the other so so why is it important that a business adopt a very authentic and transparent culture of care awareness i i think it's you know it's critically important and i think tom that when you look at any business there's a culture uh and they have certain behaviors and functions i think sometimes a business doesn't recognize that but what we're hoping to see is businesses move up the ladder to a culture of caring and an awareness of their employees and the needs of their employees. When you look at the major issues facing businesses across the state and across the country, workforce is probably number one. And there's some key benefits to businesses through uh, engaging and in, in really becoming uh, an organization that's aware of care and really focusing in on the needs of their employees. Uh, its productivity is enhanced. Uh, it improves the physical and emotional well-being of their employees. It reduces health care costs. And probably as important as anything else, it helps to maintain or retain employees as well as recruit employees. Uh, if you if you don't have those kinds of that uh, commitment to that kind of a culture, uh, you you are struggling with uh, employees who are dealing with a whole array of different issues that impact their ability to be as productive as they would like to be in the job that they have. Um, the other part of the equation too, and, and I think the bottom line is so important to businesses, is a financial impact. If you don't uh, have a recognition of the importance of the employee and really focus in on supporting that employee, uh, you're really dealing with uh, about $6.3 billion worth of job interruptions on an annual basis, as well as about $6.6 billion worth of replacing employees because for whatever reason, the employee cannot stay on the job or, or, or uh, is not focused on the job and there's a real loss to the business as a whole. So those opportunities that exist and the challenges that exist and what we look at certain characteristics that we'd like to see uh, businesses take on in terms of what we call that caring uh, culture. 
uh, and it starts at the top, uh, and that that's key. An organization reflects leadership. Uh, no one size fits all in terms of what the model is for a caring environment. It's important for an organization to have written policies, and that really leads to transparency and consistency, and that's important. Um, there's a, an importance that the organization see how caregivers see themselves and some of the stigma that they experience. And if you're going to become a caring corporation, you really have to understand all of your employees, including those who are caregivers. And one other point I'll make in terms of characteristics that are important uh, in a caring uh, uh, culture is managers and supervisors. Uh, the manager or the supervisor is key. They're a pivotal spot with the employees. And the more we help them to understand the needs of all of their employees, including caregivers, uh, the stronger the organization is going to be to deal with issues that come up. So there's some real opportunities. Now, once again, Dick, and you know, knowing you over the years, when you you have packaged together there, um, you know, seven or eight points why CEOs should really get involved with this. So the the financial impact, the, what I would call presentism, where you know someone's in the in the office but they're distracted because you know, they're worried about their mom, dad, or, or, or grandparents, no different. Uh, on the on the flip side is if if there's inadequate daycare, you know, uh, workers are worried about their kids. So and this is the the other end of that spectrum. So I think it's so, imp so important that we get this word out. So um, I think maybe offline, Dick, you and I can uh, work on like a, you know, a, a rack card, which makes the that makes these points because I know in the uh, I'm involved a lot with early learning and until the CEOs and leaders understand that um, th that the workforce will be distracted unless it's adequate daycare um, they don't they don't really get too involved with the you know with the with the early learning and similarly I, I suggest that this may be the case here as well so the the production part the productivity part of it um you know and also as, as a great corporate culture of retaining people i mean that's what the key is so you know um we're known we have very little turnover and um and people are attracted to work for northeast delta dental and yet we pay probably at the 50th percentile level but it's these things here that really you know you know matter to people so i'd like to work with you offline and, and get the word out because sometimes you can get the attention of business leaders, you know, when you put it in the dollars and cents, you know, the $63 billion of, you know, productivity loss. So let me switch it now back to you, Jennifer. So um, what are some uh, of the little ways um, and big ways, you know, that employers uh, can help, you know, their employees be, um, you know, more enhanced, you know, caregivers and, and that can be, both monetary and non-monetary and i think i think obviously it goes back to the culture but but are there any you know tidbits that you can uh, suggest for a, maybe a small employer that's uh, you know has maybe 10 employees that three of whom are dealing with this or or a company of a thousand that has 300 people that are dealing with this so what are some of your ideas 
Yeah, absolutely. There are lots of different ways uh, that a, an employer can support employees that are caregivers. And, and as you both have said, it really does start with that tone, that culture. Um, and I really and I also want to circle back around to, to what Dick said is that it's not a one size fits all. One of the things that we try to talk about a lot through the Alliance for Healthy Aging is that there are many ways and not all of them are costly. So it could be organized you know, luncheons and workshops, providing resources, just really as leadership in an organization, modeling that it's okay to talk about the competing demands in your life. And it's okay to say, I'm a caregiver. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anything from, you know, being a boss who asks, right? So who asks when an employee might be repeatedly distracted or late, you know, getting curious about what the, what the reason is for that and, and making it okay again to talk about that. As I said, sharing information in um, newsletters, creating space and time for employees to get together and talk. Um, those are a lot of the no or even low cost. And then, you know, as we sort of move up, um, you know, on the cost range, there are some things that employees can do that are, are only moderately, you know, expense to them, which might be providing classes for their employees on stress reduction or care planning, um, all the way up to, you know, what we might think of as the more costly, um, you know, subsidizing home or health care or paid family caregiver leave. But there really is so much that can happen within that realm of, of creating that culture and open communication and support. You know, one it said a lot of great stuff in there and the, the and one big one is just talking about it i mean we find that as well with uh mental health just talking about it in the same con same way you would talk about you know if uh if someone needed uh meniscus surgery that's a comfortable conversation right but if if they have uh you know some mental health things whether themselves or their family or um, dealing, you know, as a caregiver, it's it's less comfortable. So just being able to talk about it is huge, huge point. So what are, and then some of the more formal resources, Dick, I mean, obviously we can Google Center on Aging, Community Living, and uh, AARP New Hampshire, but what are some of the other uh, resources that might be available to help businesses, you know, start on, if, they, if they're already down the path, start on their journey to support um, employees who are caregivers? Yeah, there are a number of resources, but before I just jump into that, Tom, I just want to say one thing that you and Northeast Delta Dental are a prime example of a caring culture. Uh, I had the opportunity to read uh, Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive. And, you know, when I look at the business foundation of Northeast Delta Dental, there are a number of key characteristics, one of which is servant leadership. Correct. And that, when I read that, it's all about focusing in on the employee. And, and that through focusing in on the employee and communicating with your employees, it leads to trust and it leads to uh, more productivity. But there are a number of different issues and items that are available. There's a, if, you all, if you go to aarp.org slash caregiving, they have a large business uh, a booklet 
as well as a small business booklet. And like we said, uh, all uh, does not fit into one mold. You have to look at it differently. So again, thank you for uh, the opportunity. And I look forward to the chance to sitting down with you and sort of scoping out some of these opportunities. I agree, because this has gotten me uh, energized uh, because I'm doing the same thing, like I said, on the younger side, on the on the daycare side of things. And I think we have to to, to address the workforce workforce issue, we have to do, we have to do all of these things. Um, and thanks for the plug on the book, but it really is, um, you know, authenticity. You know, you know, being human, being a servant leader, and then um, and then being real with people, and then you can formalize it. You know, with some of the programs, you know, that that you reference. So um, hopefully, we'll do some really good follow up. Again, for my listening audience, Google Center on Aging and Community Living. Um, or Google AARP New Hampshire, and there'll be more resources, and we'll be certain to do a, a follow-up. Thank you, Jennifer and Dick, for uh, uh, sp investing your time with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Jay? Yes, another edition of Northeast Delta Dental Radio comes to a close. Fear not. There'll be another edition next time here on the Pulse of New Hampshire for Jennifer Rabelais, the co-director for the Center on Aging and Community Living, as well as Dick Chevrofils, AARP volunteer, and Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. I am J-Dog. We'll be back next time with another edition of Northeast Delta Dental Radio here on the Pulse of New Hampshire.